hip hop, the hip, the hop, the hip hop, pop, the don't stop, to the bang bang boogie. everybody welcome to the no name music cast my name's tim and this is joy and before we get started we have some big news in the no name music cast world um this week i have given joy a usb flash drive with almost the complete works of alan partridge on it so for all you fops out there fans of partridge you will be jumping for joy phil i'm sure you'll be going woohoo as you're driving along in your car jilbo will be going for goodness sake oh for goodness (laughs) sake well i have i have the fob and i have the um it equipment necessary like a computer of such (laughs) and i will spend my weekend getting caught up on alan partridge tim did give me specific instructions on which way to um or what way to listen to it like what to listen to first which i put on a sticky note and wrapped it around the jump drives so i have specific instructions as well yeah, it's like, you know, some, some people who are into Star Wars will say that, well, you have to watch the original trilogy, then the prequel trilogy, and then this and then that, and that's how you're supposed to do it. I, th- I think in the Partridge universe, you want to start off with Knowing Me, Knowing You, then watch I'm Alan Partridge, and then probably the radio show, and then probably Mid-Morning Matters and all the other stuff from there. Well, on the next episode, I will report back my findings of Alan Partridge. There, there we go. We, 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 are, we are hoping Joy likes it, but equally, Joy could be in the Jilbo camp of not enjoying Alan Partridge. But we will see. We will see. And even if I don't like it, at least I'll get the references. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so this week's topic is my turn to pick. And uh, the topic is something that we have sort of dotted around a little bit in some of our previous episodes. Okay. But this week, I would like to talk about the music of Niall Rogers. Oh, Niall Rogers. Okay, yeah, we've talked about him a few times. So for those of people who don't know, Niall Rogers is a producer, songwriter, and um, he's a singer too. And he's produced music for so many varied acts and that's what i wanted to get into on this episode is some of the music that he's been involved with now niall gregory rogers which gives the gentleman his uh, full name <laughs> was born in september 1952 and he's probably most famous for being a member of the band chic and yes. i'm sure i'm sure you're uh, familiar with the work of chic joy correct so um he put that band together with bernard edwards and they were they were trying to sort of channel a kind of disco sound that was very popular in the 70s and an interesting rock and roll fact about chic they they were nile in particular was very influenced by kiss believe it or not it's random yeah he liked the look of the logo and he liked the fact the name of the band was four letters and it was very to the point oh okay that makes sense so he, um, that's why they called. They had several names that they were working on, but they they landed on Chic because it was they he, because of the, he thought Kiss was cool, four letters, the logo, the whole thing, and that's that's where it came from. Well, if you think about it, you've got ABBA, you've also got ACDC. The four letter thing is probably not that uncommon now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you, you I look through my iTunes collection, I can find <laughs> another of uh, another one in excess. There you go. Yeah. Which, I, which I think is a band that we probably haven't even uh, spoken about much on this podcast. Oh, one thing I remember about Annex, well, I mean, I remember their music, but also what I remember, did, they were the one who had that reality TV show to find a new singer, right? Yeah, I, my, yeah, Michael Hutchinson, what's his name? Michael Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> that gentleman, Michael, who fronted um, um, in excess, he sadly took his own life, I believe. Yeah. Or some some variation of that, sadly. And then they had that rock star supernova when they were going to try and find a replacement singer for him. Did and they I find think, a replacement? Well, they found somebody and it was one of these contrived scripted reality shows and so they find this person and then i think they did a tour off the back of the tv show and then they made an album and then i think it lasted a year or two and then that person was out on their ear i just remember i i've seen like a few episodes i think in passing my mom likes to watch a lot of that stuff and so I, that's one of the one things that stick out about 
them. Anyway, back to Nile Rodgers. Yeah. So, um, so Nile Rodgers, I mean, um, Sheik was around in the 70s and in the early 80s, and then they, they split up. But Nile got involved in, in music production and songwriting and what have you. And the amount of acts that he's worked with is absolutely staggering. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the signatures of Niall's, uh, Niall's sound is his that funky, clean guitar. And I yep. think we and I think I think we covered it in a in another um, episode before. But the guitar he plays is a 1960 Fender Stratocaster guitar, and <laughs> um, he calls it the Hit Maker. Yeah, I was gonna say he's the one you said had a name for it, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, and he and he apparently bought it at like a pawn shop in Miami Beach, Florida, and it's nothing. You know, at the t- at the time it was nothing special. He probably paid the going rate for it, and um, it was actually Bernard Edwards that taught him how to play in that kind of very funky, choppy guitar style, and he calls that chucking. That's how that's how he describes that technique. I mean, that's very, but it does kind of give you an idea of how that would work, though, with using that term. Yeah. And and, and for, for the guitar geeks in the audience, he doesn't use an amp. He plugs it straight into the mixing desk and he uses the neck pickup. And that's how he gets that very unique sound. Hmm. But a lot of the signature of a lot of these songs that we're about to discuss is that Niall Rogers guitar sound. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's very unique. So what I wanted to do was just go through some of the music that Niall has been involved with, not necessarily in any particular chronological order, but just picking out a few tracks here and there, just, just the kind of things that, that um, Niall's worked on. So I'm starting with probably one of the most recent things that you'd be familiar with, or I suppose most people would be familiar with, is his work with Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Now, he worked with them on Random Access Memories in 2015. And I think his playing is is all over that album. I don't think he's on every single track, but I think he he has production credits on almost that whole whole album. But the tracks that he is most prominent are are Lose Lose Yourself to Dance and Get Lucky. Which, okay, so both those are... Fantastic. Uh, And Get Lucky was probably the bigger hit that most people would know. Uh, It was everywhere. But the reason it was so worked so well is it really was just a 70s disco tune. I'm just going to say it. And it worked so well for his sound. I mean, that's the way I view it. It really just came off as a disco song to me. Yeah, it's very it's very similar to his work from with Chic. It's almost it's almost Mm. identical. And I mean, the, the interesting thing about the whole of that Daft Punk album Daft Punk wanted to make a dance album and they wanted to make an EDM album, but use real instruments. That was their brief when they made it. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense, though, because it does kind of have an EDM feel and that's their thing. But I mean, you can't beat real instruments for me. So no. And and what they did is is normally I mean, you know, with with digital recording, you're you're cutting and pasting, copy and pasting and moving parts around. But normally, if if you have a band playing, the the bones of it is somewhere there's a live performance in there or a live track or something like that. And what Daft Punk did is they worked with some some really superb session musicians. They 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 worked with Nathan East on the on the bass and Omar Hakim on the drums for most of this album. But rather than get them to play the whole track, they would get them to play parts and then sample it into their Pro Tools or whatever they were using, and then copy paste and move those parts around to give them all the editing that they wanted to do. I mean, that's very specific, but I see how that works. Yeah. And uh, I said Niall was all over these tracks. And in fact, Lose Yourself to Dance, he's in the video. Yeah. I've seen the video of it. Now, on another note, um, and then you've got, okay, I don't know how you feel about him, but Pharrell Williams, you know, does sing a verse and get lucky. And mm-hmm. I think he has production credits on a lot of the songs because while I don't find Pharrell Williams to be a great musician per se, because I, I mean, he's got an OK voice, he could, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. he doesn't really play any instruments. He produces and writes a lot of music, though. And to Niall's credit and to his credit, that seems to be where a lot of the money is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we, as we've discussed before, uh, you know, if you're a producer of an album, the record company or the artist will be paying you a fee to do that. And you've probably you'll probably get a royalty off it, too. Yeah. So songwriting production. That is where sadly that is the where the money is made. Mm-hmm. 
But there's a lot of like I think what Pharrell Williams did the he does that like the legend of the Phoenix or whatever and that yeah, song yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he has his get happy song and I think he has like two other songs that he actually you know does himself but I, I don't really find him to be a singer but if you look up the he's kind of one of those people that if you go back and look he's got like um, songwriting credits and producing credits on like 300 songs that's crazy. Exactly. Well, I mean, he, he obviously knows where, uh, where where the money is in the world of music these days. Isn't that the way? It's weird, though, because, like, I don't even see him as a musician. It just said it, it comes down to me in some ways that some of it's just being lucky. Haha, <laughs> get lucky. But also <laughs> some of it's like to be. I don't know if you agree with this, Tim, but to produce music like Nile Rodgers or to produce music like Pharrell, which Nile Rodgers was a musician. But these producers you hear who aren't musicians themselves, sometimes all you have to have is the right ear. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it it, it comes down to that. Especially with, like you can get so, like this software like I have on my computer. It's free basically and it has loops in it and it has sounds in it and it has samples in it. And I think it's just having a knack of stringing it together and like you say being lucky with who who wants who's hearing it. Who wants to hear um, who wants to work with you, who you happen to meet out at a bar one night. I've heard stories like that. But, yeah, I think that, that but all it's kind of like sometimes the people who become famous as better musicians aren't always the ones because like now Rogers is a good example. He's not one of the most, I would say, lucrative, you know, household names of all time. Right. But he's an amazing. Well, I mean, he may be for us, but you don't think of him at like what most people would think of like Elvis. Right. He's not on that superstar level, but he's a fantastic. It's sometimes it's about that it factor, I think, too. Yeah. I mean, most people on the street will have heard of Elvis. They would have heard of Michael Jackson. They would have heard of the Beatles, that stuff. But a lot of people, you say Nile Rogers, and I think you have to be a music aficionado to some degree to know who that is. I mean, if you said Chic, they might know the freak, but that's about it. So then you said the guy from Chic and then they're like, oh, the one who played And They're like, OK, that makes sense. But it's kind of interesting because he's an amazing artist. Or at least I think he is. And I love his guitar, but you don't really he's not that well known, I think, to the general public. No, that's good. And that, that's a terrible shame because he is such a talented guy. And, and look at on. you, Tim, bringing him out to the no name music cast world. There you go. See. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other um, act that Niall worked with was Sister Sledge. And I believe Sister Sledge was one of the first acts that he produced and worked with. Now, of course, Sister Sledge, some of these tracks are fantastic. I mean, we are family. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, and we also talked about that on the family, but also their voices are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but they're also, once again, they're kind of what I associate with that disco, which I love the disco sound. I love a funk sound. I love that type of thing. So I'm, they really can't do any wrong for me. Yeah. And, and, and really, if, if you actually play chic tracks and you play sister sledge tracks, they're pretty apart similar. From, yeah. Apart from the voices, it's much the same idea, really. And but but it's it's like like you say it's that really good disco funk sound sound. But isn't is that just? But I like that sound, so it works for me. <laughs> exactly, and I mean you know you other I mean other tracks have lot. I mean lost in music. Frankie, he's he, the greatest dancer. I mean, he's the greatest dancer is the one that always comes to mind for me. Um, oh, what is it? Mama never told me. That's one mm. of theirs. Thinking of you, got somebody to love, or some got to love somebody, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so I mean, but they're also they're just nominal singers. So, but once again, I love that's probably one of my favorite types genres of music. But of course, they're number one. Well, and I think they even did a version of My Guy at one point. But I would say We Are Family is probably their number one hit. Yeah, I think I think that's the one that most people think of. And uh, going back to actually to Chic themselves, I mean. I just pulled up like, you know, the, the best of chic. I mean, these songs, good times. I want your love. Everybody dance. I mean, it's all quality stuff. Well, Tim, you didn't, you haven't said the facts. So, you know, I've got to say it. If we're going to talk about chic, we've got to talk about studio. 50. Studio, studio 54. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the rule of thumb goes, and Tim and me have talked about this. Well, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or we just talked about it in person. There is a story, and, and now Rogers has confirmed it. The members of Sheik tried to get into Studio 54, and they were denied. 
They were outside. The guy told them they weren't dressed right. They didn't look right. They weren't popular enough. Liza Minnelli was there that night. I don't know. Something. So anyway, (laughs) I think actually, I think it was Grace Jones was there. And um, (laughs) Niall knew Grace, I think, through music contacts. And he kept saying to the bouncer, you know, you got to let me in. Uh, Grace Jones is in there. She's expecting me. So and they, they were like, nope. No. So, and if you don't know anything about Studio 54, they were very particular. You had to have a certain look, had to have the no. And I mean, there are stories of people going into Studio 54. I think Cher went on horseback one time. Just like all kinds of, that's real. She went on like a big white horse. You can like look it up. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll put a picture up on the Instagram of Cher on the horse. I think it was Cher. It's either Cher or somebody as bolstered as Cher. So they were very particular about who they let in. And obviously drugs, alcohol, and all that was a mix. But they wouldn't let them in. And they wrote Le Freak, of course, after they wouldn't let them into Studio 54. And it was supposed to be, it was another four-letter word that starts with an F, but we're PG-13. PG-13. Well, we probably could be PG-13, but PG in general. Um, I can't say it. And it was they were basically yelling it. So the freak, when they yell it in the song, that's what they were yelling. And it was because they were max. They couldn't get in. Yeah, it was it was blank off was a refrain. <laughs> and so they were so angry when they got back to the hotel room. Uh, Bernard Edwards and Nile Rogers, they, they just they would say blah, 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 blank off. And then and then after a while, they were like, this song is too good to waste just being angry at a doorman. We have to do something with this. So I guess the irony is the Studio 54 got um, shut down for drugs and embezzling and they wrote a, his song. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hear the story about the liquor license in Studio 54? No. <laughs> Like they didn't have their liquor license. What was it? They had to like bust in alcohol from other places when they first got started or something crazy because they didn't actually have a liquor license. It doesn't. I mean, it was a thing. It was a 70s man. <laughs> Things were different back then, you know. Well, if you I watched a lot of documentaries on it. The two guys were crooks and they went to jail and all kinds of things. But there was something about when they they either didn't have their liquor license or it got taken away. I can't remember one of the two. And so they couldn't actually sell alcohol there, but they like busted in from another location. (laughs) (laughs) I do know that the Hard Rock Cafe in New York City, the new one in the Paramount Theater in Times Square, Mm -hmm. they have the Studio 54 sign. Oh, the big one outside? It's not not the big, big one, but maybe Mm -hmm. it was one that was over a door or something, but they have that at the Hard Rock. Another thing that I've learned about this, and we can go back to now, Rogers, just one more Studio 54 um, fact is, do you know, like I talked about how on the Motown episode, they developed theirs like after the car, like assembly line mm-hmm. with the guys. And I can't remember their names. The guys, the two guys who um, opened up Studio 54 made their idea of this big grandiose um, and they did different nights. Like one night would be like this theme and one night would be this type thing. Right. It's mm-hmm. based off of Broadway shows. Oh, okay. so they, like they would take like they kind of took the idea of the way you do like scenery on a musical show um, and brought it into um, the theater that they were. And actually, Studio 54, I think, was a real theater. Like that's where the they put the thing up. Uh, we used to be a theater. But, yeah, that's where they got the ideas from. Well, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Fantastic. Well, I just uh, I just want to go through some of the um, some of the songs that um, Nile Rodgers has produced, some famously and maybe some some not, depending. Now, when I was researching this, I was surprised to find this out. I did not know. But one of the first um, production, high high level production stuff that that Nile was involved with was in 1984. um, He um, produced Madonna's Like a Virgin. Did you know that? No, I no. I'm like trying to, but it kind of actually though. I would have even thought that. I was no. trying to think of maybe if I could do like pick up. I'm like, no, not really. That's crazy. Yeah, because it doesn't. It doesn't have the funk type guitar thing in it because it's more of a kind of keyboardy synth pop. Pop. Type. I was like to say it's more of a pop song. And apparently, he he met her in he met her in 1984 and. <laughs> um, Niall was apparently not that impressed with the song. He didn't think it was a good song. He didn't think it had any potential. He didn't want to get involved with it. But but the more he was away from it, he's like, actually, the hook of this song is stuck in my head. So uh, let's give it a go. And then, you know, 
became a massive hit and then they had the Madonna the Virgin tour and like a Virgin album and the whole thing. How many thing. times have you done that though? Like with the pop song, they're like, this looks kind of lame. I don't like it. And then a day later you realize you're sitting there going like, a bird. dang it. <laughs> okay. I guess it's pretty good. <laughs> Cause I do that all the time. I'll be like, this song's not that good. And then two days later, I'm like, and why am I still singing it? <laughs> well, the, well, the phenomenon is known as earworms. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was there's something I've heard for people. Something like seeing Jesus loves me or something. And it's supposed to get the other song out of your head or supposed to get the song out of your head. But then I feel like you just have Jesus love me in your head. So does that really work? Yeah, I. I, I sometimes those songs do get you, though, where they, they just stick and it won't leave and you can try and cleanse it with anything and it just and just will not go. There's been songs that I've had. I think I've had in my head for three weeks straight. Like easily. Yeah. And it's like, I don't understand why. Like you'll wake up and you'll be like, I haven't even heard that song in six years. And now it's in my head for the next seven weeks. How does that even make sense? <laughs> I went through a phase of, of having uh, islands in the stream stuck in my head. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't help this by obsessively watching the video for it either. And it, it was there for a long time and it, it went eventually. I had emotions by the Bee Gees or the Disney child version. Cause I like both versions. I just kept going. It's just emotions mm. taking me. I was in my head for like three months straight. Oh goodness. Me. I felt like I was never, it's probably where my Bee Gees hate comes from now. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's a good song, but I didn't want to sing it for three weeks. Fabulous. Well, let's uh, let's let's move back into the uh, into the world of Nile Rodgers and the music that he's uh, been involved with. So <laughs> one one track that I do really like of his is uh, from 1980 uh, with Diana Ross. And, they, and there's a number of tracks that he was involved with. But one that stands out to me is I'm Coming Out. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Also, it's another one of those songs. I swear to you, it has to have been used in every movie since the beginning of time. I I, th I think so. I, I see. I know of I'm coming out as the song, and I also knew that it was a um, anthem for the LBGTQ plus community. Yeah, I but when think... I but I said that to Hannah, and she knew it more as a, a song they used on a Weight Watchers commercial. That wasn't a Weight Watchers commercial <laughs> in America. No, I know she's on and it, it's actually been on. I feel like I feel like it's probably been on a bunch of commercials. Like if you go on IMDb and look up the song credits for "I'm Coming Out," that's Nile Rodgers made bank off that song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some, I mean, some people say you know if you have a great song like "I'm Coming Out" and it has that message that's been adopted by a community or something like that, if you go and sell it to Weight Watchers, you've sold out. <laughs> but equally, I mean, he's got mouse to feed. I mean, he's he's got he's got bills to pay. Well, I mean, I don't really think so. <laughs> the thing about it is, is what it, it's that happy go lucky kind of. Um, there's a few songs that I make jokes, you know, they've been used since the beginning of time and every that one is like it is. It's not even just like for the LGBTQ plus community. I've seen it in movies where like they get divorced and the girl's coming out of like this bad. And, you know, she's like getting on the plane, get ready to celebrate her life for everything. It's like, I'm coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been yeah, used. Yeah, yeah. It's just to set that mood, I think, in general. Absolutely. And off the same album, also, you've got the song Upside Down. Oh, that one's my favorite. I record. OK, funny story. I recorded a version of Upside Down. And this is back when I used to do Twitch sing. So I would stream my singing on Twitch. Mm -hmm. And I recorded a version of Upside Down. And it got deleted uh, even though it was on the Twitch Sings platform, which means that people were allowed to record it because they said it was too close to the original. So there you go. I was just too fantastic for the upside down world. <laughs> there you are. You you broke the upside down world. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Diana Ross, but it was good to think about for a few seconds. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I, I put videos up on YouTube constantly. And then they're, they're mostly either things from my archives for bands I've played in long ago or their videos I've for the band I'm playing with at the moment called Flager Hill. And when the drummer likes to video stuff and people like to video stuff in the audience. And I like to put it up on YouTube because people like to see it. And, you know, it's, it's cool and all that. And, and plus it gets the name out, the band out in Google searches and things like that. Dude. And sometimes when you put them up, it does say copyright strike. 
I mean, they, they used to, if you got a copyright strike, they'd take your content down. But I think now YouTube have a thing where if it gets a copyright strike, they won't remove it. They just monetize it for the person who owns the music. That's smart. Yeah, I just Twitch things was really fun. Unfortunately, it never really caught on. Um, it was mostly just used as like an online virtual karaoke world, which is fine. I love karaoke, uh, but I like doing it. And then people can interact with you and write stuff. But then you would either have people who are actually really interested in writing you going, hey, this is really nice. Or you should try this song or I like what you did here. But then you get the occasional person that's just like um, not appropriate. So I think that's probably why I didn't make it into the world. <laughs> I thought that Twitch was more used by gamers. I thought it was a gaming thing. It was. Thing. So game, most people use Twitch to stream gaming, but Twi they did like a little, it's called Twitch Sings. It only lasted for like a year. It had tons and tons of songs and like you could put it out there and record it and people could talk to you, you could perform live, you could put your content out there. So it's basically like what the gamers do, but with music, it was, it was fun, but, and you could even do duets, you could do different things, but it, I just, for some reason it never got nobody after about a year, I guess people lost interest or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about Twitch, I was talking to someone the other day who was watching a Twitch stream or something like that of somebody else playing a video game. And I'm, as you know, I don't like video games. I don't play video games. It's not something that interests me. And I said to them, I said, why would you want to watch that? Just watching someone else play a video game. Isn't that boring? Wouldn't you prefer to play it yourself? And that person said to me, well, you can play guitar. Why would you ever go to a rock concert? I said, okay, fair point. Fair. Well, and a lot of people who actually stream on Twitch make money off of it. So that's something. It's crazy to think about what they do. Yeah. How Do, do they monetize it with ads or... I don't really know. I've never really looked into it. But I just know like some of the high end gamers, like um, there's a gamer, his name is Ninja, who I think got canceled because he um, said some bad things on air one time. But that's the only one I could think of the top of the head. He was like, he used to um, stream on Twitch and he was making bank, but I don't know how the money flows. I mean, I don't like video games, but if someone wants to watch me play a game from a Vic 20 or a Sinclair <laughs> Spectrum and I can make some money out of it, you I'd know do what? That. You probably got a niche there. You'd be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> then you see, Joe, you don't remember when video games used to load on audio cassette tapes. Have you ever done that? I have not. I've seen it in like a video, but I, the, my original video game when I was young was I had, I had a, I had a regular Nintendo is probably the first one, but I do. I have played on an Atari. I played on a GameCube. I played on a Super Nintendo, but that's as far back as mine goes. Oh, I had a Commodore VIC-20, <laughs> which was the uh, predecessor to the Commodore 64. And that had a cassette deck where you used to load your programs on. And then everybody I knew had a Sinclair Spectrum. And they didn't sell them, I don't believe, in the United States, or it was called a Timex Sinclair or something. It's not the <laughs> same. But in England, everybody had a Sinclair Spectrum. And I had one of those. And it had a cassette player on it. And that's you got the game from Boots the Chemist. You go and buy a copy of whatever, I don't know, Manic Miner or Jet Set Willy or something like that. And then you you take it home and you put it in your cassette player. And then you type things like load, speech marks, speech marks or whatever it was. And hit enter and you press play on your cassette deck. And then it made the same sounds as like an old fashioned modem as it loaded. Oh, Lord. Yeah, did, did all that stuff. And then, you know. Two, five, ten minutes later, you're playing a game of one little pit, one little blobby character following another blobby character. It's, it's it, it was a golden era, you know, with your game cubes and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Tim, if you want to stream that on Twitch, you probably have a niche because nobody else will be doing it. <laughs> Very specific art, um, art uh, audience. <laughs> <laughs> But there we go. But anyway, back to the world of Nile Rogers. So one iconic song of his, which most people would know this song, is from 1983, and it's David Bowie's Let's Dance. Yes. I think we've talked about it a few times on the podcast and other episodes too, of course. Absolutely. So not only does this track have David Bowie on it, it has the production and funky guitar of Nile Rodgers, but it has the blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan playing on it. Yes. And I mean, it has a great music video too. Yeah. The, 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 the music, <laughs> the music video has some kind of meaning to it. It's, I think it's like it's, it's native uh, native people from Australia are in it, mm -hmm. and I think they're they're living in some kind of like down and out shanty town type thing, 
and then she sees a pair of shoes in a shop and she can't afford it and then she either goes into a dream sequence and then she now has the shoes and then the guy works in a factory and then he's like dragging this huge piece of machinery (laughs) down the street and then and then david bowie appears like by airs rock with and one white glove. Yeah, one white glove <laughs> miming the guitar part of Stevie Ray Vaughan. However, he's playing the one white glove on the fretting hand. <laughs> That's true. And he's wearing like white, but it looks like he's got a bad tan. Like it looks yeah. like he got spray tanned like Donald Trump before he. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's, David Bowie. <laughs> it's, it ha- it, there's a lot going on there and a lot to unpack. I'm not sure I understand. I just remember the native girl wearing like the yellow dress yep. and the shoes and then him with one white glove and he's wearing all white. And then they show him and he's like in a desert. He's got super blonde hair and what looks like a really bad spray tan. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Stevie, the blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan. I am a little bit. I only I have it like big, like surface hit so i'm not going to say i'm an expert by any means but i know what he looks like and who he is yeah well he, he was a you know a blues guitarist that had been in austin texas for many years and david bowie actually discovered him in a uh, in a club in austin and yeah. he and he wanted stevie ray vaughan to join his band and tour the world with for this tour and um because he <laughs> collaborated with him on china girl and on let's dance and Stevie Ray Vaughan said that, you know, he 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 was in the band for like two minutes in in uh, rehearsals. And he's like, you know, I'm a blues man. He said, I, I can't I cannot play. I've, but I could play this stuff. But he said, this is not my scene. I, I appreciate this. This is not what I want. And what happened is David Bowie was so, um, so impressed with him. He got double, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, which is his band, <laughs> to support him on that tour he, as a support act. That makes sense. Well, I've heard of Double Trouble, and I remember Stevie Ray Vaughan wears that hat. Yes, wears a very specific hat. And the the sad thing about um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, he was a uh, a drug user and drunk, uh, drunk, uh, abused alcohol his entire life. Yeah, and um, he'd just got clean. He'd been clean and sober for six months or something, and then he died in a helicopter crash. That sounds like my luck. Yeah, it's ten. And and the thing was is that. He was friendly in the, like, the blues community with Eric Clapton and they'd played some festival somewhere and they'd been on the mm-hmm. same bill and the helicopter was supposed to be for Eric Clapton and Eric Clapton. Oh, I've heard this story now. Yeah, that you Eric said that. Clapton gave him the seat on the helicopter because okay. I think Eric Clapton went off to do something else or he had an interview or something and like the, the seat on the, 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 the helicopter came up and he said, oh, he said, you know, you take this one, I'll get the next one. And it was, and it was like fog or something. And then he got killed in a helicopter crash. It was terribly sad. Well, and if you're Eric Clapton, like, you're like, are you kidding me? Like you, there'd be some sense of like, oh God, that could have been me. But then at the same time, you're like, but I gave him the seat that killed him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you happy? Are you sad? Do you feel both way? Like, I don't even know where you begin with those emotions. Yeah. That, that, that is a, that is a complicated set of emotions to process. I don't know how you, how you could. Cause I would probably beat myself up in the sense that I was sort of told him to get on that helicopter, but at the same time, they're like, but also I'm the, I could have died. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And then, and I, he was just getting to sort of peak of his initial popularity on off the back of the David Bowie left let's dance and yeah and double trouble and stuff would just begin just becoming popular and it was around the time I was learning to play guitar and I used to buy a lot of US guitar magazines in WH Smith's in Hounslow there's one for your mm. bingo card followers and um just as I was learning about him I heard I heard that he'd been killed in this helicopter crash I mean I never got I never got to see him perform though I did know somebody who saw him he came to london a couple of times yeah and i know someone who saw him perform and apparently he was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal that's sad it's always sad when you lose someone like that too especially when it's at the height because like another um like buddy holly um there's a lot of them that they're right at the height of their career when something bad happens to them like they're just starting to become known as you know the top and it's like that's the moment that something bad happens to them Exactly. It is t- terribly sad. I mean, like the uh, the bud, the buddy Holly, the day the music died. I mean, that that, that took out so many up and coming 
musicians or musicians, like you say, at the height of their fame. Yeah, like they had just like, and it, it's not like I'm talking about like the people who are like they just got they have hits, you know, but they're not like this not long term. Like this is like oh, we just became super famous and bam, we're out. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, yeah. terribly sad. And Selena, who you've learned about. I know about Selena now. Yes, you know about I know Selena all about now. Selena. <laughs> all right, back to now, Rogers. Okay, so there's a track that I didn't know Niall was involved with, and it's the B-52s, Rome. Did you know that that is a mm. Niall Rogers production song? Not really. I mean, I love that song, and that's another one that's been used in every movie since the beginning of time, but no. Yeah, I wouldn't I, have even associated the B-52s with Nile Rodgers. No, I, I didn't know that. I mean, um, I don't know whether he worked on the rest of the album that comes from Cosmic Thing, but mm-hmm. that single, Rome, I said that that is one of his. And I listened to it and when I was researching this episode, and it doesn't really have any of those sort of stylistic things that a lot of his work does. Which well, in, some, in some ways does show his range. Yeah, I was going to say that. And also, when I think of the, I'm sitting here singing in my head. Obviously, it only is. There is kind of because it's night. It sounds like almost like an '80s, late '80s, early '90s pop song to me, right? Mm-hmm. Is that not what you think of when you hear Rome? And well, you would be right because it's from 1989. There is kind of like a guitar part, though, like a. Da, da, da. Like right when they draw, like or after the lyric, but I mean, it doesn't sound necessarily like now nah, Rogers. It just sounds like a guitar. No, I would have no clue, Tim. I tried to reason it, but I can't. Yeah, I, I'd I'd like to think part of me would hope that he had something to do with Love Shack, but I, I don't think that's the case. Probably not. And, and, as, every, was... and let's say, as everybody knows, the definitive um, version of Love Shack <laughs> is one that was recorded maybe a year ago in lockdown. I don't know. I don't know. I know there was a great UK singer. Jenny was involved. I, I, I don't know who else was on it. You know, I'm still a little hurt. I wasn't called in, but it's fine. Jenny <laughs> is an amazing singer, but I could have gave some backup vocals, man. That was also though a really cool video, though. Tim, you kind of hate Love Shack at this point, right? Because you're burnt of it. I was in official Love Shack retirement prior to this video. (laughs) So I had performed it in the band Moroccan Soul, which I um, which I um, was in in England, which we've discussed before. And it was myself and Linda, who female singer, and it worked pretty well. And then that sort of spilled into the jam night world. So like anyone that wanted to sing Love Shack with me, I probably did it. And then we did it all the time. And then when I... um, when I left England and came here, it was laying low. The world of the Love Shack was, you know, kind of sleeping, if you will. And then in Whiskey River, who were the band I was in for many years, it was discussed that it might be a good idea to do. Now, I used to do it with the, the drummer, who was also the singer, and that was a guy. And he used to sing in a kind of like falsetto-y type voice. And it wasn't quite the same. But the problem was, is I ended up getting notoriety for Love Shack. And it's, I just got bored of it. I mean, it was just too much. It was like you, you, you would come out to play a gig and, you know, I've been playing guitar for 30 plus years and I'm happy with the way I play and people seem to enjoy it. And then it was like, what do you do Love Shack? And it's like, Mm -hmm. come on. Well, you know, you should have just traded it out, started doing Rock Lobster. That's what I think. I want to see Tim perform Rock Lobster. Yeah, I don't know if it would, it would have the same uh, same kudos. Anyhow, <laughs> so, I, so, so I left I left that band <laughs> and then I retired it and I said, that's it. Me and Love Shack. No we more. Are, we are done. And then as part of this lockdown, when I was on Radio Free Jam, when I was actually co-hosting very early into the initial Radio <laughs> Free Jam run, um, Love Shack was mentioned from my Love Shack history. And um, Jenny said, I, well, Ian said to me, he said, maybe would you do it again? I said, no, I'm a bit burned out of it. And then he said, oh, well, maybe we could do some kind of lockdown thing. And I said, well, I said, you know, if, someone really wanted to do a lockdown video with me maybe i'll be open to that and then jenny like in the chat said i'll do love shack with you and i was like <laughs> okay uh, okay and, then, and there we go she went to josh's studio and um uh, her voice is amazing too yeah and it's, it's, it's great i mean if you listen to the stems even just like the backing mm-hmm. vocals really really good it's it's she, she she is a great singer and 
after I performed that and it's been put on YouTube and what it's got three or 400 views, people seem to enjoy it. But I, <laughs> I think, I think in the realm of the love shack, that's probably my final statement. I think you just need to adopt out and start performing Rome and rock lobster instead. I really want to hear Tim do rock lobster for Jim people. Next chat, we're all going to write rock lobster on repeat until he does it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Nob Rogers had anything to do with rock lobster either though. Sadly not. <laughs> anyway, back to Nile Rogers. <laughs> right, back to the world of Nile Rogers. So one act that he worked with in the 80s, and, and again, I didn't really put join the dots together until... It's crazy how many different people you're saying that I'm like, no, I don't even get it. So this is Duran Duran. He, wor- he worked quite a lot with Duran Duran, and one track that he's famous for being on is Notorious. Hmm. Are you familiar with that song? I am. I can hear it. But you hear you hear that in in the um mm-hmm. in the with that funky funky guitar yeah. thing. That makes sense. That's one that now that you say that I can hear that. Notorious. I wouldn't have known it had you said it, but it makes sense now. Yeah, and it, and it has the the funky. What was it? He called it. <laughs> The, the, uh, chucking, he calls it chucking. His chucking sound. Yeah. I thought for sure you were going to say hungry like a wolf, and I was going to be like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I don't know if he's involved in that. Maybe. I know. Maybe. When you said Duran Duran, that's where I thought you were going with it. <laughs> maybe you uh, Maybe you need to look that up and see. Is, 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 this, okay. is this another no-name musicast exclusive that we can exclusively yeah. reveal? The wolf. Let's just, I, well, there's this, this internet per thing that we can look things up on that I'm looking. Let's see. Hungry like a wolf. Produce to a real album. Uh, I don't think so. Nah. I'm not seeing any um, specific thing that features. Her name is Rio and she's hungry like the wolf. Oh, apparently Nile Rogers opened their show one time for Duran Duran. <laughs> Found that out. Uh, oh, hold on. Wild Boys by Duran Duran. Song facts. I know that he um, he's on the reflex. The reflex. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That was a reflex. Uh, get it? That was a reflex. <laughs> oh, here here Thank you very much. I can't find anything that says he's performed on Hungry Like the Wolf or produced it, but apparently he has um, did like open their shows and performed with Duran Duran on a bunch of concerts. Hmm. Okay. So there you go. That would be a cool concert, like to see Sheik and then see Duran Duran. It would be. And also talking talking of Nile Rogers' performance, did you know that he played with Madonna at Live Aid? No. And I feel like I should have because he's yeah, so not, iconic looking like with the hair and sometimes he wears the hat and he wears like a, he often wears like a white suit, white suit as well. Or in the hats, usually if he's wearing the hat, the hat matches the suit. Sometimes I've seen him in blue too. Yeah. And now I got to look that up. I'm going to look up the picture because I'm curious. Live a Madonna. I mean, and of course it's not the, um, not the Live Aid concert that took place at Wembley in London, the, the famous Queen one. It was the it was the sister concert that took place in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, trying to see if I could see him on any of the background pictures. You pro- you probably pick him up. I mean, I've seen the the Live Aid the video of Live Aid. Yeah, twenty times after the fact, but um, I'd never. Oh. Put, yeah, that see? is him. See. Wow, he's literally like right up front while she's got like a tambourine. Huh. Well, there you go. Do you know the funny the funny thing about that Madonna Live Aid performance? It's before she became it's 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 hard to say, but it's before she became Madonna. Yeah. I mean, she internally she was Madonna, but she she she, she wasn't to... she wasn't speaking with a British accent yet. Exactly, <laughs> she she's more just like every other teeny bop singer type at the time. She looks like a real. She looks like a young. Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? She looks like a young pop artist, like who's just starting to get their wings and she's having a lot of fun and she's jumping all her things. Now, Madonna, when she performs now is she's very like, like you, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. She's very specific in the way she moves and the way she acts. She built a caricature that is Madonna, I guess is the way to look at it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, she is 100% in charge of her brand, the brand of Madonna. Madonna is she her. steers that branded Madonna ship. But certainly you look back at earlier in her career at Live Aid, she was she was not that yet. I mean, she was like wearing just like a button up shirt and holding a tambourine in the photo I saw. Yeah, I, mean, I would I would go. In fact, we're, maybe if it's available, we will post that in the Facebook group so you can see it. But it's not the Madonna that you recognize from these days. Yeah, and it has the picture. It, the picture I was looking at, I'll post it. It has now Rogers in it, too, because it's like a picture of them together. Um, but it was just cool. I um, yeah, I I guess I never noticed. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> there you go. See, another, another no-name music house fact for you, Joy. We need to start a thing that if they, anybody on our um, fans, if they win Jeopardy because of no-name music class, we expect a 10% royalty fee. Because <laughs> 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 half the episode just going, hey, did you know this fact? <laughs> no, I did not. Yes, I did. <laughs> All right. What more about Mr. Nile Rogers? Well, I mean, I've got a couple of uh, little facts of uh, about Nile, and then we'll probably wrap the episode up. So I mean, Sounds I mean, good. his production credits are all over the place. He's worked with Sheena Reeston, Jeff Beck, the Thompson Twins, Mick Jagger. Um, I've never even heard of that guy. Who's that guy? He's he's a guy. <laughs> Actually, talking to Mick Jagger, did you see that photograph of Mick Jagger taken in North Carolina about two weeks ago? No, should I have? So uh-huh. Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones were playing the North Carolina Enormo Dome or some massive stadium concert on their tour that they've, they've started up. Uh-huh. You know, they, they had a big tour and they had to shut it down because of the COVIDs and they're now back out. I found it. Yeah, that picture. Yes. So before the show... Mick Jagger just went to a dive bar in North Carolina for a beer, <laughs> just just chilling out. Nobody to... leaving. It looks like they know who he is. No, so he goes to this bar and he just buys a beer and he's standing outside and he's just drinking his beer and just watching the world go by. And then he get to probably walk back to the venue or whatever he did. And and after the fact, this picture comes out and they're like, "Hang on a minute, that's Mick Jagger." Well, to be fair. I would be like, I'd see the guy because he's wearing a hat. And he's got like a jacket on. And I mean, he's old. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, guy really looks like Mick Jagger. But I wouldn't be like, oh, Mick Jagger sitting beside me in the bar in Charlotte, North Carolina. Like, I wouldn't think that either. No. And I think he's one of these people that you see the Mick Jagger in professional photographs where it's professionally lit. He's probably wearing makeup. He has his mm-hmm. hair done a certain way and he's wearing he's stage clothes. And you see, and, yeah. And you see him in that context. But like, if you take Mick Jagger out in normal daylight or, you know, or even at night, but you, you see him outside of that context and he's just a guy standing there drinking a beer in a bar. You, you don't know it's him. I would totally kick myself later, though. I remember one time. Who was it? Oh, I can't remember. One of the members of Blink-182 said they walked past a guy that was wearing a Blink-182 shirt. Went, hey, nice shirt. And the guy went, thanks, and just kept walking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's like that great photograph backstage at a concert where it's your friend, Dave Grohl, Mm. and john paul jones from led zeppelin and it's in a backstage hospitality area and it's a guy in a led zeppelin t-shirt passed out drunk he's in a chair and he's just like drunk uh, asleep and john paul jones from led zeppelin (laughs) goes up to him and he's it goes behind his back with a thumbs up and dave (laughs) Kroll takes a picture so funny <laughs> and this like guy i has woke this, up the next morning like what happened and this guy with his led zeppelin t-shirt on and it's just it's just amazing i remember back in the day when they i had gotten a whole lot of love t-shirt when i was like 16 years old i wore it to school it was orange it just said whole lot of love right on the front right mm-hmm. one person got the reference all day i was kind of disappointed well, you, at, least, at least you were lucky you could wear a cool T-shirt. When I went to school, I had to wear a uniform. Yeah. We Americans, unless we're going to private school, that didn't happen. No, you, you have to wear school uniform, even if you go to a, a comprehensive school in Hounslow. Hmm. 
Well, I mean, I guess that's something that I had going for me. Even if only one person noticed it, I, at least I got to wear the shirt. And exactly. I knew it a bit. Exactly. You, you got to express yourself in your T-shirt. It was Mark Hoppus. That's the one. Hoppus, oh, yeah, Hoppus. Yeah. yeah. He was the one. I remember I have got him on Twitter and he said, I just passed by this guy and he took a picture of him. He's wearing a blue hood. I need to, I'd be so embarrassed if I was like, but you're right, though. Like, if you just are walking past and it just kind of looks like an average person and there's no paparazzi security around him and it just looks like a random guy like he did with the hat on, I might not even register at that. I just walked past Nick Jagger. Well, there was another pitch like that recently. It was a couple of years ago before we lost Eddie Van Halen. Eddie went with his son Wolfgang, and I think they went to see Mark Tremonti or Tool or some some Something you know like kind that. of like contemporary rock band. And then they, it was like a it was like a son and father date type thing. And they would they had didn't have fancy tickets. They were just sitting out on, on the side like anyone else would. And a guy went up to Eddie Van Halen and he said, hey, buddy, can you do me a favor and take my photograph in front of the stage? <laughs> so like Eddie Van Halen took the picture for him. And then like Wolfgang was so entertained by this. He, he posted a picture of his dad, Eddie Van Halen, taking a photograph of this guy. Well, you never know. I mean, it's not like, I mean, like if you pass by like Madonna, she's going to have like a parade of people around her. I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. Um, and security and she's gonna be like you said she's gonna be the madonna you know but like just some of these guys just fuck regular guys but, i don't know <laughs> but there we go anyway i'm gonna i'm just gonna wrap up the episode with one more nile rogers which is actually more of a chic fact so this the uh the you're familiar with the song rapper's delight Sugar Hill Gang. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. So the, they took the hook of Good Times and made it Rapper's Delight. And mm-hmm. I think certainly my research suggests this is the first time that a, that, a, that a track like that was sampled. However, Sugar Hill Gang didn't sample it. They actually replayed the whole thing. It was played mm-hmm. fresh, but they did use that hook and that line. Yeah, and they've they've said that that's where they got it from. And Sugar Hill Gang, or well, Rapper's Delight is noticeably good first one of the first real rap songs in general. Like it's like no, it's credited as being one of the first rap songs that was ever produced. Period. Yeah, and that and and it's the it's a sort of rap that I don't mind too much because it, it it tells like a story, mm-hmm. and the music in the background is really cool. Well, I mean, how many people don't know I'm the hip hop, the hip, the hip, the hip, the hip hop, hop, the don't stop, the, the, the bang, bang, boogie. I mean, that's like, it's iconic. Exactly. And I, I will tell don't, you. When don't, I- don't, you guys put that out there on the internet. I buy a tip to rapping. <laughs> <laughs> don't cover me, internet. I know it's terrible. That is not my forte. I'm just saying, who doesn't know that? <laughs> well, when I was in there, when I was in Whiskey River, there was a song that we used to do a medley that had Rapper's Delight in the middle. And I used to do the rapping piece. That I tried to replace my Love Shack God. with that, but it, it wasn't, it didn't have the same success. Oh, I, I, I would see what I do is I like some of these rap songs like that. Right. Like I like and I like some old school rap and I know every word to it. And I'll be like, I'm so good. And then I'll like hear myself doing it. I'll realize how I'm so bad. <laughs> like, oh, I know every word. This is so cool. And then I'll hear back. and I'm like, oh, God, don't ever let me do that in public. Bad idea. <laughs> but yes, I love the Sugar Hill Gang. It's one of my favorites. Marvelous. Well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, with thoughts of hip hop, hippie hop, <laughs> bang bang, and all you that kind of <laughs> malarkey, we're going to leave it here for this week, and we will catch you next week. Bye. See you later. To buy me up another day to come.